All right. So, I don't know. It sounds like that's all right. That's all right. We don't need. We don't need. We don't need music. Um, so, guys, I'm. Uh, I need to talk to you. This is not scripted. This isn't planned. What this is is a burden from the Holy Spirit put on my heart. Okay, in response to something that's going on right now. Um, and when I say going on right now, I mean worldwide, nationwide, and right here in our backyard. The church, God's church, is under attack. If anybody has any doubts that that's happening, you probably haven't been paying too much attention. Talk to me, and I'll explain what's happening. Worldwide, we have the nation of Israel under attack which scripture tells us is constantly going to be happening. It should be no surprise. But our job, our job is to stand with them, to pray for them, to lift them up, to support them, and to understand what's going on over there. So many people are like, oh, I don't pay attention to the news. We need to. We need to understand what's happening in the world. Then we bring it into our country. If you look at just our country alone, the way that the church is under attack, the way that traditional values are under attack, the way that all of the things that we are taught in Scripture is the way to live a godly life, glorifying to Him, all of those things are being mocked now. You look at they're being made fun of in TV shows and movies and everywhere you look, the things that as Christians, as followers of Christ, we should hold near and dear to our hearts as our core values, the way that we live our lives, is under attack. And what that means then is that many of us say, well, I'm just not going to be that open about my values in public because I don't want to suffer the slings and arrows that are going to come my way. That's not what we're called to do. We are not called to crawl under a rock and hope it blows over. We're called to stand against it and then bring it into our own backyard. Pastor Gabe talked about the amazing provision that the chapel has been. How many events so far this year? 59. 59 events that we have held here between memorials and weddings. God has provided for us in a miraculous way. However, his provision through the chapel side of it is not the primary, we are not an event venue first and foremost, we are a church first and foremost. And what we do is this. This is who we are. And the provision for this comes from you. And the provision that comes in through the tithes and offering portion has been in the last year steadily going down. Be honest with you. Now, this isn't an ask saying, I need you to dig deep into your wallet and give. That's not what I'm going to say. But it's our responsibility as Christians to support the church. It's our responsibility as part of this body to support the church. Now, some of you, I understand the economic uncertainty, and I could do a whole message, I could do a whole series on the blessings that come from giving and being obedient to Christ and all the things that the Bible says we should do. <clears throat> I could do a whole message on that. I'm not going to do that because I hope you understand that, that that is important. And the reason I point that out is because there is a significant part of this body that gives 
so graciously, sacrificial giving. I can tell that you give faithfully, you give sacrificially, and you give, and it matters so much. However, there's a part of you, and I'm not going to make eye contact with anybody, because frankly, I don't know who you all are, but I do know that there are some who don't give to this church. And this isn't a condemnation over that. That is between you and the Lord. Scripture tells us that we should do that. This church, this body needs you to do that in any amount that God puts on your heart. But here's what I want to say. The number one thing that we can do as a body, as Christians, to stand against what is going on in this world is prayer. Number one. And prayer doesn't cost anybody a dime. What it does is cost you time. It costs you spiritual energy. And in order to do it, you need to care. So here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to twist arms and say, hey, y'all need to give. Y'all need to do that. Here's what we're going to do. After service, from now until the foreseeable future, because we're entering into a lean season, we're going to need prayer. After service, we are going to gather up front here where we typically do for healing prayer. All the other weeks of the month, after service, we're going to gather up here and we're just going to pray for this church. We're going to pray for this nation. We're going to pray for Israel, okay, and and the health and the prosperity of God's church worldwide. That's what we're going to pray for. And it's not going to be uh, carefully orchestrated. I just want to get together and just let God's spirit flow through his people. Okay, doesn't cost you a thing. I'm not going to set the offering box right in the middle of our prayer circle. Okay. But I want us to be intentional about, about seeking God's heart for this. And whatever that means as far as your life outside of that, that's between you and the Lord. But we are going to take time to gather together, and that's going to start today. So right after service, I, I've got in my notes to remind you, but if I forget, it's happening right up here, immediately after service. We're not going to take an hour, two hours, whatever the Lord wants. Let's just get together and just be the body and just lift the church up in prayer. Amen. Would you guys join me in that? All right. Then, Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. I thank you for what you're doing in my heart. I pray that everything that we do today and every day is for your glory. Because what you do with our obedience, what you do with our hearts, is far more than we could ever imagine. So, Lord, it's all yours. It's all yours. Let your spirit flow and reign in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you for that. Normally, when I don't have a script or notes, I go on for like hours. I did pretty good. I did pretty good. All right, so let's get into the message today. Uh, First of all, uh, Pastor Gabe said it, but also thank you to Pastor Gabe, because between Pastor Gabe and Pastor Scott, it's been a few weeks since I've been up here teaching, and I, frankly, I forgot how, so we're going to start over here, um, but, but man, what just a great series of messages has been going on, and I just pray that the Lord's going to continue that. Um, the focus of the previous several chapters um, and several messages has been Paul's encouragement to be filled with the Spirit of God and all the things that that means in our lives. The result of that spiritual filling should be a manifestation of 
love for one another, of true humility. And in many ways, that manifests as a submissive heart. Because if you're humble, you're going to be submissive. Submissive to your authority, submissive to the direction from the Lord, all of those things. And if we struggle with that word, the word submission and submissive, a lot of people just immediately go, I don't like that. If you struggle with that word, ask yourself why. Ask yourself why that idea is so hard for you. So we're going to go into this week's message. And this week, um, it builds on the last few weeks of teaching. Remember, context is so important. When we look at a teaching in Scripture, we need to look at what went before, what comes after, and the whole flow and what the idea is. Now, if you read something like, um, like Proverbs, Proverbs is just like, hey, this is a good idea, this is a good idea, that's a good idea. And they don't all necessarily, although Pastor Gabe has been doing a study and they've found that there is kind of a, an order to it, but it's not just a whole bunch of like great bumper sticker ideas for living. It's a thought and it's a letter and it's like, here's what I want you to know. And so that's where we are. So this week, we're going to build on all that as Paul starts to, to head towards the finish line of this epistle that he's writing to the Ephesians. So today we're going to start out, we're in chapter 6, and it's just verses 1 through 4. Now my, my subtitle in my Bible is Parents and Children. Now before, if you don't have children, don't tune out, okay? Because you're all at least a child. You have been a child. At some point, I think most of us, maybe George was born as an adult, okay, but I can't picture you as a child. Were you ever a child? Okay, one time, one time. For that one day, George was a child. But hear me in this. So I'm going to, we're going to put the whole thing, normally I just read it, it's only four verses, so let's put it on the screen. You can follow along with me um, in your Bible. I'm in the New American Standard, the NASB. Your version may be a little different, but it's all going to be pretty close. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may turn out well for you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay. Seems very straightforward. Now, mine, where you see the all caps there, in the New American Standard, I love that because that helps me see right away that that's Old Testament scripture that's being quoted there. And so we'll go into that a little bit more in detail as we go. <coughs> but it seems pretty straightforward, right? You read that and you're like, okay, I get it. Let's move on. Not so fast. Not so fast. Last week, Paul gave, actually the last couple of weeks in the message, Paul was given marriage advice. And so now, a little parenting advice. What's to know, right? It seems like a, a logical flow, right? Let's remember that little thing called context. It can be kind of pesky sometimes. But if we're going to be honest interpreters of Scripture... We need to look at that. So let's look at the bigger picture here. In the last few weeks, uh, Paul has encouraged us to be imitators of God. Do not partner with darkness, but expose darkness in all its forms. 
do not walk as the unwise person, submit to one another, and then husbands and wives submit to one another. That's kind of the context as we roll up to this message. So stay with me here. So after all of that, Paul's going to wrap up the last chapter of this Holy Spirit-breathed epistle for all of the ages with kids listen to your parents. I don't think so, right? Do you think so? There's going to be, there's got to be a little more to this message. Now, if you're not familiar with how Paul wraps up this entire letter, what's the last topic that he addresses at the end? Anybody know? Spiritual warfare and the armor of God. It's a warning to every day, put on the full armor of God because every day you're in a battle. You're in a spiritual battle against the devil and demonic forces of darkness and wickedness in this world. Anybody see that going on in this world? Every day. And to me, that makes Paul, that makes what Paul says right before that a little bit more, I see that in a different light. Like, okay, if this is one of the last things he says right before he tells us we're in a spiritual battle against demonic forces, like, okay, maybe it's just more than kids obey your parents, which is not bad advice, but there's more to it. Paul's advice here has a different depth and a different meaning, and it's not to be confused at all with this parenting book. Anybody remember this parenting book? If you remember it, you're showing your age. I was raised on that book, so blame that book if there's anything wrong with my upbringing. This is not what we're talking about here, okay? Let's peel back the layers to see what's at the center of what Paul is saying right here. Let's go scripture by scripture. Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, if you're a parent, I just heard you mutter, amen, right? And I, I see pens going like, okay, write that down. That's good. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's going to go on in houses all throughout the city this afternoon. But verse 2 then, this is the one that quotes Old Testament scripture, honor your father and mother. But then in the parentheses there, I think every version of translation has that in parentheses because Paul is adding his two cents to that, just kind of an illumination here, which is the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Yes, Paul's referring to those commandments, the ten. Not the 10 suggestions, not the 10 good ideas for living. So what's the promise? It's the first one, he says, with a promise. That's found in the next verse, Ephesians 6.3. So that it may turn out well for you and that you may live long on the earth. All right, be honest. Who hasn't thought of saying that to their difficult child at one time or another? So that you may live long on the earth, obey what I'm telling you. Again, more note-taking, I see it. Or you may not have another chance. Seems straightforward so far, right? 
So what's the big deal? Let's go way back to the Ten Commandments. Well, he says this is the first commandment with a promise. So let's go back and let's look at those commandments. Remember way back, some of you might have been there, when Moses was given the commandments on Mount Sinai. Okay? I'm not making eye contact. Some of you might... Nobody was there. (laughs) Exodus 20.12. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be prolonged on the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now, that's the fifth commandment out of ten. Number four, anybody know what number four is right off the top of your head? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And right before number six, which is? You shall not murder. And number seven, you shall not commit adultery. So I don't know if this is a hierarchy of like number one is the most important and then they kind of diminish in importance as they go down. I'm not sure that's how it works. But he placed honor your father and mother right between remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy and you shall not murder. It kind of makes it sort of important, doesn't it? All I can think of is that they must have had some unruly kids wandering the desert with them in that 40-year exodus period. Can you imagine, anybody ever take a cross-country trip with your kids? Okay. Five minutes into the car, are we there yet? 40 years. Can you imagine listening to your children, and I don't care if they're 40 years old, they're still your children, saying, are we there yet? Is that why... God gave that commandment to Moses? Do you think that God considered it of critical importance that for the survival of Israel and the Hebrew nation and culture in general, that parents didn't accidentally just lose their kids in the desert? (laughs) Maybe there's an element of that that's true, but not in the way you think probably. And before you think it's all about just unruly children, how to deal with unruly children, (coughs) it's also about listening to your authority figures, wherever and whoever they are. Because I tell you, this, when we look at our culture today, there are some adults who you can tell that as children, they were never disciplined. Anybody know somebody like that? You can look at them, and you can see nobody ever told you no as a child, did they? You can see them as adults. So this applies to adults, and it applies to children. But it also applies if you are the authority figure. Listen to this, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right, I get the last part of that. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But the first part, come on. If you're a dad, what dad doesn't like to antagonize their children now and then? You know who you are. Some of you are like, well, I would never do that. Notice it doesn't include mothers in what it says. I don't think mothers have the same instinct to provoke their children 
Okay, Linda, I see that over there. Gary. I know, I know your children. You did a good job. As far as I know. <laughs> mothers, mothers have this nurture instinct, don't they? I mean, it's just how God made them. But I think to a certain extent, dads have what I like to call a torture instinct. Maybe not torture in the worst sense, but look at this video and tell me if, if dads don't find this funny. Hey, Liam, can you come walk on my back for me? Okay, I do see some moms laughing. <laughs> Gabe is laughing a little too much, maybe. <laughs> but I guarantee all your dads are like, okay, note to self, there's one I haven't thought of. <laughs> so, so on the surface, this message might not seem so terribly deep. But let's, let's think about this. You remember, uh, or you may remember, that at Discover, we call the style that we teach at, we call it expository, right? And expository means that we look into Scripture and try to peel back the layers of what's really at the core, what it means. We, one one uh, theologian described it like this. He says, he says, the expositor opens what appears to be closed, make plain what is obscure, unravels what is knotted, and unfolds what is tightly packed. And so our job as teachers is to try and take what Scripture says and go, okay, it says one, if you look at it on the surface, cursory reading, it says one thing, and that one thing is good, and it makes sense, and it's right. But the deeper you dig, the more it says. So it's not just like dads don't, don't aggravate your children and children obey your parents. That is right, and that is correct. But there is a bigger, deeper picture behind this, more than meets the eye. So let's talk about the Ten Commandments again for just a second. Christians, as, as Christians generally, when we read the Ten Commandments, um, we divide it into the first four, just kind of mentally and sometimes formally, divide it into the first four, which are commandments towards God. Do this for and because of God. And then the second six, we describe them as how to treat each other. And that's generally just how we divide them. But did you know that for thousands of years, Jews have divided the Ten Commandments into five and five, and they've included children, obey your parents. They've included that in the God section, honoring God. It's a duty towards God more than a duty towards man. And so this teaching 
by the Apostle Paul has just as much to do with honoring God as good advice for raising children, right? That's, that's where we are. And Paul's teaching here is brilliant because he's speaking to parents but also to children. Do you know that in the early church in Ephesus, we know for sure that there would have been kids present in all the meetings that they had where, where Scripture was being read, where Paul's letter would have been read out loud the first time. There were kids there. And we know this a couple different ways. Number one is the tense of the wording, without going too deep into it, the way that Paul addresses this letter. He's saying, when he says, kids obey your, your parents, he's addressing those kids directly. He's not saying, here's a general good advice. He's saying, you kids sitting in the back right there, obey your parents. He's talking to them about that. And the second way we know is a little bit more indirect. It's kind of through some clues through Scripture itself. One really fun story that most of us have heard is back in Acts, Acts 20. Okay? And this is verses 7 through 9. Let me read it. This is when Paul has, um, he's gone to Ephesus for the first time, and then he travels around, and he's going through Macedonia and different places there, and this very memorable and relatable scene took place. Many of you have probably heard this. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. Anyone sticking around till midnight if I just keep on going? Yeah, way way to be honest. No, that's not happening. Verse 8, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were gathered together, and there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep, and as Paul kept talking, Eutychus was overcome by sleep, again, very honest and relatable, and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. So most scholars think that Eutychus was around seven to ten years old or so, don't worry, it turns out well for Eutychus. You can go back and you can read that scripture. He's, he's fine. <clears throat> but we know that there were children there. And so when Paul writes this letter, he's writing to children and he's writing to parents. This section, yeah, this section contains some very, very practical parenting advice, without a doubt. But it's deeper than that. Parents are to be the mediator and the instructor of God's values to their children. That's what parents are supposed to do. God's values, God's worldview. And this is why it's so important for children to obey their parents. Because until they know any better, Scripture tells us the law was there as our guardian until the Holy Spirit arrived to tell us in our hearts what the right way to act is. The law is our guardian. So as a parent, when you lay down the law to your children, you are guarding them. You are keeping them in the way that they should walk until they're old enough to make decisions on their own. That's our job. And obedience is the fundamental role of the child. Children are especially vulnerable to cultural pressure, are they not? I see things going on in the world now, and I'm like, how would you ever think that it was okay 
to do that, or you should act like that, or you should do this. And when you look deeper, they have parents who are not instructing them. Believe me, as, the, as we do events around here, I have plenty of opportunities to see parents of all different levels. I can immediately pick out the children of godly parents and how they act, still having fun, but how they act, and then children of whom I'm only assuming are not godly parents. Those are the ones climbing in the waterfall, tromping through the planter boxes out here, swinging from the, from the lamps, the, and I'm only partially facetious. These things happen, but you can tell that that child was never told no, and it matters because parents should have the ability to discern right and wrong and help guide their children. And parents won't always get it right. Even in Scripture, I should say, especially in Scripture, parents don't always get it right. Listen to this. Lot, anyone remember what Lot did? It was bad parenting. He offered his daughters up to the mob just so they would keep his house guests safe. Leave my house guests alone, but here's my daughters. Lot did that. The prophet Samuel, we're specifically told his sons did not walk with the Lord. His sons did not live godly lives. That's Samuel. Jacob played such obvious favorites with his children that he got Joseph beat up and sold into slavery. King David was an absentee father. And if you want to read some scripture about his sons, Eli, Amnon, and Absalom, the things they did, you couldn't write a believable reality show with the things they did. It was, it was crazy stuff. And Jesus' parents weren't perfect either, right? Jesus, maybe a little less dramatic in the things they did, but did they not travel into the big city and then leave? And they were gone for a whole day before they realized, did you bring Jesus? Where's Jesus? It took them three days to find him, okay? They weren't perfect either. Having imperfect parents is no excuse for sin, though. You say that. Having multiple sets of parents is no excuse for sin. Because even if you're not a parent, even if you're not a parent, you're a child. In fact, we're all children of multiple parents. We have our earthly parents, and we have our godly parents. We are all children of multiple parents. Sometimes sin and rebellion is just the fault of the child's choices. And when I say child, I mean your little kids, and I mean you as an adult child of parents who maybe didn't get it right. Sometimes it's just our fault. But let's look at it in maybe just a little bit broader sense. Maybe the hardest thing for us to grasp as human beings is about God's nature. And it's the idea that his love is freely given without us having to earn it, without us having to be good enough or smart enough or faithful enough givers or faithful enough church attenders. 
God's love is freely given, sacrificially given for us. And that is a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around because that's not how we are generally as humans. But let me ask you this. Have you ever held either your own child or another small baby in your hands? I mean those babies that are small enough to like you have to hold them like this. Does your heart just not overflow with love immediately for that child? I don't care if they're screaming or what they're doing, but you have a love that like I will do everything in my power to keep you safe. Everything that I can do. That is as close as human beings can come to the way God loves us. That baby didn't earn it. He didn't do anything, and it didn't matter if he did. It's because, it's just because that parent's love doesn't have to be earned. So wouldn't it make sense then that in God's commandments, he would help us to live in a way that helped to illustrate that love relationship between a parent and child? That's exactly what he did. Our God is a God of discipline, but also of love. And I was trying to find a good way to explain how that works, and I found the best way straight out of Scripture. Hebrews 12. This is verses 5 through 9. I'm going to read it for you. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate as true sons and daughters at all. Verse 9, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more would we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Now, that idea is taken out of Proverbs. Great ideas. Scripture tells us that God is love. So, if God is also a giver of discipline, then discipline must be love, to discipline and to allow yourself to be disciplined is an example of love modeled by God the Father. And it's essential that a parent teach a child discipline so that the child will grow up understanding how to follow direction and accept discipline, especially when it doesn't make sense to you. Let me put that in adult context. Because you can all think of times when you discipline your children and they go, why? That doesn't make sense. You go, just trust me. It's for your good. How many times does our father discipline us in our lives? And we go, but it doesn't make sense to me. If you grew up as a child never understanding that God disciplines the ones that he loves and you don't need to understand it then as an adult, you will never grasp the concept that God disciplines the ones that he loves and it doesn't matter whether you understand it or not. You trust in your heavenly father. As we as parents are to teach our children to trust in us, to give them godly discipline, godly guidance. This is why it's important. 
if all you do as a parent is mislead and frustrate your children. I mean, the, the videos were extreme, but who doesn't do that? But if you, if you mislead them, if you lie to them, if you mistreat them, if all you do is harass them, punish them, and frustrate them, if, in, if nothing that they do is ever good enough for you, they're going to have a hard time understanding that they need to trust God. And the first time they get the chance to walk away from you and from God in his discipline, they will. Does anybody near here know someone who walked away from the church as soon as they were old enough to make their own choices? Was it you maybe? It was me, I'll tell you that. I was 10 years old the last time I went to church reliably as a children because my parents stopped making me. And I said, got nothing for me. All I know is I have to wear uncomfortable shoes. It took me 30 years to find a relationship with the Lord again because of that. I'm not blaming my children. That was on me. Uh, my, my, my father, that is. That was on me. The parent-child relationship is just another in a string of examples about husbands and wives. And next week, we're going to talk about slaves and masters. Be here for that one. But the idea is the family structure, the parent, the authority, and the submissive structure, the humility that God tries to teach us is itself a reflection of God's love for us. And to understand that helps us to understand that God loves us regardless of who we are, regardless of what we've done. And his love for us is not conditional. And we have the hardest time grasping that as humans. But the only way we would ever be able to wrap our heads around a loving God who sacrificially and gracefully gives to us with no agenda whatsoever is to understand this relationship. God has established family the whole family unit as a basic building block of a well-functioning society. It's there to be an example to us, an illustration of his love, all these things. And the command to honor one's father and mother has this broader implication of submitting yourselves to authority, which means we have to set pride aside. We have to set aside our idea of, of what's right and wrong and submit to our authority. Now, if it countermands God's authority or contradicts God's authority, that's different. That's why parents, in what you do, you should be prayerful and consider God's direction when we discipline our children because that's the only way they're going to grow up understanding God's love. Those who can't or have never been taught to honor their father, bless you, whoever's sneezing back there, if you've never been taught to honor your father and mother, you will never be able to honor and respect and obey those who God puts in authority over you. You'll never be able to. And we see that happening in society every day because it leaves an open invitation for the devil to mock and twist and pervert and belittle the idea of family. And that's happening now. And then by extension, that mocking mocks a God, an all-powerful, sovereign God, who can love us unconditionally. And if a God like that can't be trusted, 
then he can't be followed. And we see that every day. This is why traditional family structure, the one that God instituted and established, is under attack every single day. And it's why at the end of this chapter, Paul will give us the antidote. And a large part of that is prayer. We're going to pray right now. I want to remind you that right after, we'll wait until after uh, the worship, and then we'll just convene up here and we'll pray. Pray for this church. Pray for this country. Pray for the worldwide church. Let's pray together now. Father, we, Lord, I lay my heart out to you in full submission to what you want to do. Lord, I repent of all those times where I thought, this doesn't make sense to me. If you would only explain it to me, then I'll submit. I know it doesn't work like that. We submit first, trusting that you are a good father. And so parents and children, let's have submissive hearts. Help us to see those places in our lives where we are not submitting to the will of our parents, where we are not honoring our parents. Help us to see that as a reflection of your heart for us and our heart for you. It's not about whether they've earned it or not, but it's because you know best and you told us to honor our parents, obey our parents. So Father, help us to see this message in a way that penetrates our heart and gives life to the things that we do and how we live. Father, we lift it up to you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, it's time to take communion. I, think, I don't think I recognize any new faces, uh, so you all know how communion works here. Uh, Pastor Gabe and I will be over on this side, and I think Jim and Sandy will be over on this side. But let's do it with, with thankfulness. Just think about God sacrificially giving his one and only son for you on the cross. For you, with all your flaws, knowing who you would be, and he did that anyway. His perfect son he gave for you. Let's keep that in mind as we take communion together and honor what he has done. Amen? Thank you, guys.